Scattered on the 
out the door. Once I'm on the street, the world comes to life as I'm hit with the noise outside my windows. The jackhammer, the subway beneath me, cars ignoring me and die honking laws. The day is bright and crisp. Still, as I focus on getting to my little sister, I don't feel like I'm part of any of it. The stocky nurse whispers to me that Jade is asleep in the next room. Wait a minute. 
snowboards in the shape of his lips look like some mountain range. I don't know the name of him. He has the slight body of a dancer and escaped the small town, small mindedness of Bodunk, Oklahoma, to Chelsea, where he's got more boyfriends strutting the aisles of the Whole Foods than I have in my own life. We have a complicated relationship because I worship him. But when Bush comes to shove, his loyalty's lie with my mom. My boy's gotta pay for those Prada shoes. Ever the guard dog of her annoyance schedule. My mom once suggested she and I do a couple session with Emma. I brought Jerome because I talk to him more often. While Jane tries on shoes, 12 sizes too big. Nicole and I debrief on our separate conversations with the doctor. She, of course, pretends to be completely reassured and already sent Jerome to buy the Dwayne Reed out of Snickers. I'm relieved to see that she has been silently scared to death and in her unspoken way is grateful to me for having stepped in to play mom again. It's funny, all that lies between the lines. As an actress, I wonder if an audience would understand what's actually being said between my mom and me without dialogue. The way she takes off her glasses when we come in. How she lifts her shoulders and sighs when she greets me. The extra beat in the hug she wraps around Jade. I take note of the small crinkle lines on her eyes and the pinch of her eyebrows. Her thin voice. I know from all this the complexity of how she feels. And I guess in my ability to get inside her, as our true understudy, I find some compassion and lose my irritation for the moment. Jerome is teaching Jade how to trot like a model in five-inch Louboutins, and I watch her spindly spider legs pump and the red soles clump. I resist the urge to scoop her up and huggle her. She was two that exists somewhere between to snuggle and to hug. Usually I'd be worried about her breaking an ankle in those shoes, but after the day we've had, that feels like peanuts. Nicole comes up behind me and kisses the top of my head, which I hate. She's fine, Maggie, she says, trying to convince herself and me. I open my mouth to argue and decide better. Nicole is right. Jade is fine. What I'd really be arguing about is the fact that I think a mother should be concerned. Should be the one to show up to the nurse's office and hold her daughter's hand at the doctor's, even if her daughter is fine. But having that argument is like going to an empty well looking for water, so I just walk away. Class that night is frustrating because we're doing group work and I have been hoping for some individual focus before tomorrow's big audition. Particularly since the afternoon adventure with Jane grabbed up all my prep done. I'm more nervous than usual, doing my best to pretend I'm not. After class, I turned down an urgent invitation from Andrea and Jason to Hill Rose Bar. They're both over 21, and I never mentioned that I'm not. 
distant lip reader. He's been mute since birth. The prospect of our future together is mutual. Irresistible. However, she's mourning the loss of her beloved dummy Chester, who recently left from a truck and was crushed by an escalator driven by and past his prime power forward for the Knicks. She has his finger in her pocket. Chester's, not the forwards. Unfortunately, the mute is allergic to the advantage on end of the aging blonde nearby who has never learned how to properly eat her spaghetti. She thinks the scent is attracting to the retired detective she met on eHarmony who is sitting across from her, wolfing down his pasta and trying to remember if he saw her face on the America's Most Wanted list. Meanwhile, the waiter is so preoccupied with his mother's Alzheimer's. Well, you get the idea. I notice very few other diners are solo, but the ones that are have something to read propped up on the table. A paperback, a magazine, a newspaper. Something to help them forget that they're eating alone. I just think it's sad. Sometimes someone comes over and says, aren't you the girl who was in such and such? Tonight it's a cute guy. Maybe ten years too old for me. Hi, I'm totally not hitting on you. That's why you're standing inappropriately too close and your head is still on my shoulder. But I swear I saw you in an off-Broadway. I caught last fall. You were hard stirring. Will you sign this? I know it'll be worth a lot of money one of these days. Once a guy said something similar and then having learned my name, Facebook stalked me, which was creepy. Even though I'm no longer even on Facebook, when this guy hands me his napkin, I signed Julia Roberts. Your girlfriend will be more impressed when you show that to her and tell her you met an actress. She's lucky to have such a handsome, polite guy. He laughs and opens his mouth. Maybe to tell me I'm lucky because he doesn't have a girlfriend. I cut him off. Enjoy your dinner. He folds up the napkin and goes away. Emma is convinced I'm secretly a lonely person. She will not let go of that idea. It seems like it's all we talk about. Walking home in the night air, I wonder how anybody could ever feel alone in New York. Irresistible. However, she's mourning the loss of her beloved dummy Chester, who recently left them from a truck and was crushed by an escalator driven by and past his prime power forward for the mix. She has his finger in her pocket. Chester's, not the forwards. Unfortunately, the mute is allergic to the advantage on end of the aging blonde nearby who has never learned how to properly eat her spaghetti. She thinks the scent is attracting to the retired detective she met on eHarmony who is sitting across from her, wolfing down his pasta and trying to remember if he saw her face on the America's Most Wanted list. Meanwhile, the waiter is so preoccupied with his mother's Alzheimer's. Well, you get the idea. Very few other diners are solo, but the ones that are have something to read propped up on the table. A paperback, a magazine, a newspaper. Something to help them forget that they're eating alone. I just think it's sad. Sometimes someone comes over and says, aren't you the girl who was in such and such? Tonight it's a cute guy. Maybe ten years too old for me. Hi, I'm totally not hitting on you. Totally, that's why you're standing inappropriately too close and your head is still on my shoulder. But I swear I saw you in an off-Broadway. I caught last fall. You were hard stirring. Will you sign this? 
has to parenting grievances, but she'd be scared. She has, for such an intelligent person, an amazingly small reality box in which to live. She needs life to be no bigger or harder to solve than the stuff she edits for the magazine. What would happen if a real crisis occurred? Someone got cancer or a brain tumor or something. I think she'd handle it by reducing it to editorial size, denying its real scope and consequences, and telling herself that she's being practical but not getting overwhelmed. But the truth is, the most important things about life are overwhelming. It may be terrifying or tragic, but that doesn't make it necessarily bad, and certainly not something to run away from. Jane, on the other hand, would be initially thrilled to learn that fairy tales are true, and she'd demand to be part of it. She'd get jealous and want to be a part of the magic, too, but she'd never deny it was real. That's high on my list of reasons why I love her. My dad. My dad would tell me not to be afraid that was mine alone, and if I ever felt lonely with it, he'd be there. I used to tell my dad about my dreams, sometimes the real ones, and sometimes I'd lie and tell him my dreams I didn't have. I somehow expected that he would know the difference, but he never did. Either I'm a good liar or a good actress, or he did know the difference and he's the good liar. I wish I could ask him. like pink snow. This is our first spring on this street. We've moved a lot, though we keep to the West Village so Jane doesn't have to change schools. Nicole has great luck flipping apartments. My friends think it must be unsettling, but the nomadic thing has its virtues. I get to redecorate my room more than anyone else. Jane and I have become partners in creating our own personal new neighborhood from the bodegas and boutiques and restaurants that we choose together. But more important, when you have to keep changing your environment, you're constantly aware of how wide the world is and how many choices really lie out there for you. I quietly let myself into our darkened apartment, assuming that both Nicole and Jane are sleeping. Once in my room, I stand for a long moment staring out the window at the Hudson. Suddenly, I feel someone standing beside me. I know who it is and what I'm going to say. Putting on my game face, I whirl around and stab my finger out as I shout. What the fuck are you looking at? Nicole stares back at me. The look on her face is intolerable. Shut up, I keep going. You have nothing to say to me. Um, actually, I do. If you don't lower your voice, you're going to have a seven-year-old out of bed watching you act like a raving bitch. Most of 
quickly. Of course, since I took absolutely nothing like Angel. 